Good morning. As most of you know, I've spent the last three glorious months on sabbatical. It was wonderful to have had that break to rediscover interests and aspects of myself that I had somehow forgotten to spend every evening with my husband, Gene, for dinner and leisurely time with my daughter, Ariana, who will soon be going off to graduate school. I missed you. I missed your faces, yes. And I also missed what belonging to a vibrant religious community does for me and you and the world we share. I'll reflect in platforms over the next several months on some of what I learned, but today is the day we welcome new members into our community and celebrate those who have been members of this community, dedicated, committed members of this community for 35 years or longer. We hold in honored gratitude these members who have given their time and energy and creativity and money to keep this institution alive, for without that, nothing else is possible. It's a wonderful day, to be sure. But first, I have a confession. Occasionally during my sabbatical, I did get on my computer, but only to chat with friends to find images for my artwork and to follow links from articles or stories I was enjoying. Needless to say, I entered the wild world of YouTube. And there, as you can imagine, are some crazy, crazy things in cyberspace. One funny little video especially caught my attention this past month. It's the story about a man named Dick Miller who decided he wanted to do something original, something that would put him on the map, maybe even make him famous. He said that the idea didn't come to him in the spur of a moment. He tried on options for some time. But one day, as he noticed his sister take off down the road in her 83 Datsun, A good little car, he said, dependable, 123 miles on it, with not a lot of parts. He knew just what he needed to do. That car, he ate it. All 2,800 pounds of it. Now, having some considerable time on my hands during the sabbatical... I really, no, I didn't need a car, but I really did get to pondering this situation. I mean, what was the first step? Where do you start with a plan like that? Do you get the hard, rough parts out of the way first? Do you move on to the upholstery for dessert? A cabernet to accompany the tires? A pinot grigio with the chassis? The film opens with him talking in his kitchen. A car, he says, is just the sum of its parts, and a lot of the parts aren't that big. Just an inch or so across and a half an inch deep. That's the size of an Oreo cookie. And the ones, the pieces that are too big, you just machine down and smooth out. Now, it takes a special mind to come up with an idea like this. And when asked how he felt after he polished off the last piece, he said, what kind of a question is that? I felt great, a tremendous sense of accomplishment that I did what I set out to do. Something like that, 
eating a car is something you just can't do in a couple of days. It takes a whole lot of commitment, time, and planning. It's big. And so I got to thinking, you know, ethical culture is like that, big. A big idea and unwieldy. Now, right about now, you're probably thinking, Mary, three months was clearly not enough. <laughs> and I am looking around at our new members and wondering if they're thinking, what on earth did I get myself into? But stay with me. What do you do with an idea, a worldview, a philosophy of life, a way of life, a compelling vision, a religion profound and unwieldy, one whose largeness of purpose can only progress with much effort, persistence, sacrifice, devotion on the part of each of its members. Like a strong marriage or wise parenting or deep friendship, authentic religious community is an achievement over time not something that can be had for the asking. It requires some investments. At least, three, at least three of them I can name right now, and that's what I would like to explore with you today. The first investment to building a true ethical community, I believe, is authenticity. It's only when a person is willing to articulate, to talk about their ideals and aspirations that they can identify others who share those same yearnings. It's only when you're able to let someone else know about your disappointment and discouragement, about the roadblocks that have turned you aside and the challenges that you failed to meet. Only when you make yourself accountable to another human being that your values become conscious daily realities. Because this is the only way we can experience being deeply known. No one can know us except as we are willing to risk setting our truth before others and to struggle and grow in their presence. The second requirement of an ethical community is acceptance of others. Now this one can be tricky. It means engaging other people despite their persistent failures to be who we would prefer them to be. It means settling for the flawed human beings at hand rather than the perfectly sympathetic and totally responsible folks you are hoping to someday meet. And this is so counter to the message we hear in our broader culture, certainly the message that our children and youth hear which seems to encourage us to write off imperfect people easily on the theory that better ones will be coming along. This challenge that we have to deal with all the time in religious community when we count on others to do what they say they're going to do, or let's be honest, when they drive us crazy in other ways, is what we're talking about when we're talking about acceptance. Acceptance of others is costly because it means that we must learn to deal with the inevitable difficulties that come up in our relationships rather than discard them. And this requires that we are able to hear the impact that we have on others and ask for forgiveness if we've hurt someone. 
Acceptance means coming to know and accepting the quirks of personality that make an individual's character distinctive and to celebrate that diversity. That's what ethical culture is all about. It is to give others the same freedom to be truly themselves that you need in order to be your own best self. And the third requirement, I would say, is commitment. Most of us struggle, have some sort of love-hate relationship with time. We don't seem to have much of it in the biggest part of our lifespan in order to do much for the world, at least not what we had hoped we could do. We're busy making a living, creating a home, rearing children, taking care of our health and our strength and our bills, or adjusting to loss. It's hard to find time and energy for leaving the world a better place. But many of us do do that. We know stories of so many people in this room, certainly a good number from our longtime members, stories of people who will leave the world better than they found it, of lives that breathed a little easier because they have lived. Some stories about this community when we're looking back in the future will be about our achievements, achievements in the world. Ethel, ethical culturists have long thrown our life energies in with the forces of change over the decades, and many in our own community, community have been working in the civil str rights struggle and in anti-war activities. Several of our honorees, Betty Chia, Hank Gassner, Joel Silverman, who could not be here today because she's still recovering from hip surgery and has not as yet left her house, and Bubbles Blender, and others have worked on religious freedom issues and projects to address issues of homelessness and hunger and environmental and economic justice, and more recently in our work in El Salvador and New Orleans and for marriage equality for all and D.C. voting rights. The list goes on and on. Social action, service, and politics are some ways we do make the world a better place. But others are also doing it in the ordinary course of our lives by being loving family members, teaching our children strong values, by being good friends. The creation and sustainability of an ethical society takes time and persistence. Good, meaningful relationships do not just drop from the sky. They demand that we show up with commitment. And this is challenging because it means that we have to overcome our own logistical or emotional inertia to bring our scarce time and limited energy and resources to a new possibility and to keep bringing it through the shifting chapters of our community's life, and you are all so good at doing that. In the long ago days, when it was assumed that you would just stick with the church of your family of origin for life, or at least something almost identical with it, things were different. People still dealt with similar issues that we have, balancing budgets, bringing in pledge commitments, getting annoyed with one another, fighting over the col color of the carpet, 
I'm just making that up. We would love to be fighting over the color of a new carpet. <laughs> wordsmithing and re-wordsmithing policy statements to death. But they stayed and buried their dead together and raised their children together and knew one another's triumphs and hardships and helped each other remember who they had hoped to be. Nowadays, people shop for religious communities in much the same way they do for major appliances or a car. They test drive it. They compare. And sadly to us, sometimes they jump ship when the grass seems greener elsewhere, at least for that moment anyway. But still, though, I think it is fundamentally a good thing and consistent with who we are for them to do just that, because it means that when newcomers do make the decision to join, after spending some time, of course, getting to know us and learning about our mission and our values, they take their membership seriously. And yet, there is no substitute for the depth of connection that grows only out of shared experience over time. We find meaning not when we are comfy and cozy and our preferences are being catered to, but by making significant sacrifices and overcoming challenges that we did not know that we could accomplish. Think back to the capital campaign. And in the service of something that matters intensely, where we learn to know and depend on others and to make our shared strengths productive for a common purpose. Helping each other to become more fully human, to live more meaningful and worthwhile lives, and to build one another, build with one another a shared world of justice, peace, and wholeness is such, is such a substantive purpose. I mean, what is religion for, if not to explore and explain our ideals? to remind us and summon us over and over again to the values we hope to exhibit in our actions, to the ways in which we have said that we want to conduct ourselves, to the commitments and aspirations by which we have chosen to shape our lives. Several of the longtime members I spoke with for this platform not only responded not only with deep feelings, but with eloquence, reflecting the extent to which their membership has influenced the way they define themselves, view their lives, and depend on their association with like-valued people, both to pursue a common search for personal values and also to main hope and determination in an often hostile and destructive world. The fruit of their membership sounds in the voices that echo in their words. My life was completely changed when I entered this community. I found a place to be heard here, a place where we walk our talk. I found allies here who have taught me the power of community to fight for the rights of all. I was shy and I learned to speak here. We met here. We married here. We dedicated our children here. People helped with when the unthinkable happened to us. People stood with us when we were discriminated against. 
and to give names and voices to a couple of our longtime members. Phil Sayer said, I had looked for some time for a religion without superstitions, one that presents a vital message of ethics to counter the more materialistic forces that are presently influencing our society. Todd Wayman said, through our founding member, Dr. Felix Adler's concept of the spiritual ideal, I am more able to experience this whole community as a sacred place of sacred people, and so treat them so, thereby moving us all a little toward a more ethical society in the world. Carol McIntyre, I've built my whole life around the philosophy of ethical culture, that what we do here and now is what counts, that bringing our be out the best in others brings out the best in yourself. Lynn Wayman says that when people say, where are you from? Her first thought is not Kansas. Her first thought is, I'm from the Ethical Society. So why, I asked. And she said, because Wes raised me, nurtured me, taught me how to elicit the best from others, taught me how to build relationships, to be married, to raise a son, to find a career and be in the world. Wes is my center, the center of my life for the last 44 years. And from Mary Bauer, as the daughter of a career naval officer, I never called a single place home until Wes. As an adult, home is the Washington Ethical Society. I've grown here, loved here, lost here, learned and led, failed and succeeded here, always with people who love and care. There's a tenderness in me, she said, as I reminisce and savor Wes, that I'll always treasure. I feel extremely grateful. As we look to the months and years ahead doing the work together of fulfilling our new strategic plan, it will require three very tough human tasks. Figuring out what we want to hold on to from past practices. Figuring out what to discard from past practices. And creating new ways that build from the best of the past. And in the end, it is not the leader's decision nor the board of trustees' decision about what that might mean for us, nor can it be found in any policy or strategic plan. It has to be a vision that we share, a dream that is large enough to carry us all past the risks of change into an unknown future. We must live into that new vision together through discussion and experimentation, and most of all, through sharing what is heartfelt and inspiring in our connections to this place. This is a long-term activity, says the man who ate the car. Look, it took five years. I ate my first two lug nuts on the 20th of March, 1990 finished the last piece of the clutch housing, February 13, 1995. 
And so I'd have to say that compared to our tasks ahead, with no real clear beginning, no middle, and no end in sight, eating a car sounds almost easy. <laughs> Sometimes having goals as big as the ones we set before us in ethical culture can seem overwhelming. Sometimes it makes us cranky. And sometimes we just have to machine those pieces down until they are the size of an Oreo cookie. But having these extra large goals, unattainable in our lifetimes, to be sure, is essential because they serve as a measuring stick for how we're doing. You might ask yourself along the way, is this action going to move us closer to civil liberties at last in DC? Is that project worth defending? Will I choose to stand? Is this comment I'm making going to help my friend feel confident and open his heart, or will it make him feel small and defensive? Am I being the person right now I so hope to be? We are a community of dreamers and builders. We have much to be proud of. Back to our friend who ate the car so that he would become famous. In the truest sense of the word, fame isn't the exclusive domain of people who are well known. In fact, many of the best known people in our world today are the least famous. True fame signals that we've lived with integrity. I close with a poem titled, Famous by the contemporary Palestinian-American poet, Naomi Shihab Nye. She writes, the river is famous to the fish. The loud voice is famous to silence, which knew it would inherit the, the earth before anybody said so. The cat sleeping on the fence is famous to the birds watching him from the birdhouse. The tear is famous briefly to the cheek. The idea you carry close to your bosom is famous to your bosom. The boot is famous to the earth, more famous than the dress shoe, which is only famous only to floors. The bent photograph is famous to the one who carries it and not at all famous to the one who is pictured. I want to be famous to shuffling men who smile while crossing streets, sticky children in grocery lines, famous as the one who smiled back. I want to be famous in the way a pulley is famous or a buttonhole, not because it did anything spectacular, but because it never forgot what it could do. On this Sunday, when we honor our members of 35 or more years, we honor especially the famous men and women among us who never forgot what they could do in building and supporting and committing to and sustaining this community. And in their honor and in the spirit of the founders of the ethical culture movement, let us recommit ourselves to our shared aspirations, to nourishing and strengthening our relationships, and to this, our ethical society, a treasure of great worth. <laughs>